Hi, I'm Justin Hayat, and this is 36. The Lamed Vav Siddiquim is a tale built on the idea that out there in the universe, somewhere in the far corners of the world, there are 36 anonymous, really good people who hide in the shadows but step forward when we need them most. In 2020, somehow, I managed to get on a plane to Israel to find out more about these secret souls and hear their stories. This is my journey to find wonder and goodness in our once magical world. We headed southeast in Jerusalem. Curvy roads and scenic views awaited us. So did Ofer Gutman. Ofer, a Tel Aviv resident, heads to Jerusalem each day to an office of millennials and Gen Zers who report to him with a big goal inviting tens of thousands of Jews from all over the world for an in-depth and authentic experience of Israel, where they work and grow both personally and professionally. It feels more like a startup in Tel Aviv's high-tech epicenter than a Jewish organization. But, alas, we're here. Massah Israel Journey's global headquarters. A place that, due to COVID, morphed into mission control for managing long-term Israel experiences during a global pandemic. In the past few years, in a world where international travel plummeted, Massah Israel journey soared. There had to be an architect behind this story. There usually is. I wanted to meet him, and I have a podcast, so I can, right? This is my conversation with Massah Israel Journey's CEO, Ofer Gutman. Hello. So I am here with the CEO of Massa Israel, Ofer Gutman. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Justin. What is Massa Israel Journey? Look, I think the name Massa is brilliant. I didn't come up with that name, of course, but the people who came up with it, I think it's brilliant. First of all, Massa in English is a journey. And that's exactly what it is. It's not a trip. There are many trips to Israel, amazing trips, but this is not a trip. This is a journey that someone is doing. He's coming here for a few months to a year to be living it like a local. And it doesn't matter if he's coming to study, teach, volunteer, intern in a startup nation. He's going to embrace the society. He's going to stand in the lines in the bus. He's going to... Be cut in line. (laughs) Be cut in line too. He's going to have his grocery shops and he's going to bargain for it uh, in the shuk. But he'll, he'll have the Israeli authentic experience. He will live it like an Israeli for a few months to a year. And that will make his connection to Israel in a very, very different level to any other trip that he will make in his life here. And so Massah is long-term Israel experiences for Jews from around the world. Exactly, yes. Right now, as we speak, there are 12,000 people in this country who are not Israeli citizens who you're responsible for. I don't know how you're drinking coffee and not something else <laughs> because, you know, I mean, it, it's daunting. Before you sat in this chair and, and were, were the captain of this crazy storm, you had a life before. Tell us about where you grew up and what led you to where you are today. So my journey, uh, which led to Masai, is, uh, I think 
it's a bit unique one because you can see from my, my accent, I'm a born and raised Israeli, actually. My, uh, my parents were raised here as well, so I'm not even a son of, uh, of, of uh, Olim uh, immigrates to Israel. I grew up in the north of Israel in a small town called uh, Tivon. And I didn't think in my childhood and when I grew up anything about Israel diaspora relations. It wasn't part of my identity uh, at all. I went to school, I went to the army, I was um, on a battleship in the Navy. And when I finished the IDF, I wanted to go to school. And of course, what Israel needed, in my opinion, was another Jewish lawyer. So I went to study law. But I realized that that's not, uh, that's not who I am. That's not what I want to do. And actually, one of, in Israel, you need, to do, you need to do a stage before you get uh, the bar exam. And I decided to do it in a project that helps new immigrants, new olim with their legal issues. And that was my first time actually meeting people that coming from different backgrounds to, uh, to Israel. And I, and I saw that I didn't really get, I didn't fall in love with, their, um, with the low part of it, but I felt very connected to their stories. So that's, I think, how my journey started with the connection to this diaspora and global, Jew, global Jewry. The moment I had an opportunity, I applied and, uh, and I was blessed enough to be accepted to, uh, to go to Shlichut. I was working in the States for four years. I lived in New York. But I think these years in New York made me uh, uh, very, like, I understood much more about the Jewish community there. What year was it? 2004 to 2008. Wow. So I feel like I... Uh, I came to America as a very Tzabras Israeli, and I went back as a Jew. What was one of the most, like, can you just like, tell me about a moment where you saw the mosaic of American Jewry? There was one specific month that I, I spent every weekend with another community, which was very different. One weekend, I was with uh, Bnei Akiva. I uh, was with them in the weekend, did Shabbat with them, I prayed with them, I was like an Orthodox Good Jew. people. Great people. The second weekend, I was with Abonim Dror, socialist, uh, Zionist, left-wing youth movement. The next weekend, I was in the biannual of the reform movement, speaking to uh, young uh, rabbis and cantors, and I saw a very different angles of celebrating your Judaism, connecting to your Judaism, different ways of connecting to, to Israel. And I think that was an inspiring month for me to see that there are different ways. But I'll tell you what else I saw. I saw that people that spend a significant time in Israel, especially on college campuses, because I worked, I spoke in about 50 different college campuses about Israel, and it's seminars, conferences, speaking tours, and the ones that came back from study abroad, from a gap year, they had a different connection. And also, they were more active in the in, in, on college campuses because they felt that they, that I think that they know more or, or they felt that this experience helped them. That's something that I, I, I see now and I encourage, I understand that this is an outcome of Massa. Look, we did, we're doing a lot of researches with our alumni, how engaged they are, what they think, and we see that 13% say they have a Jewish job. Like if you look at, uh, at an organization like Hillel, okay? So from like 800 people that works for Hillel approximately, 160 are Massa alumni from the last few years. So you can definitely see that there's this uh, uh, experience make them become more active in the community. 36% say that they are involved in a, in a high way on an, in, an, in a Jewish organization in the last few years. So 
I really think that these are people that are taking it to the next uh, to the next step. It's not enough. We want more engagement of alumni. We want it to be more organized way. But definitely this few months to a year in Israel is a life-changing experience for them. I saw so many, so many times that the parents that never been to Israel are coming to Israel because, because the kids are here. The kids are here for, not this year, they couldn't, but years before. They were here for a semester to a year. So the, parent, the parents are coming one time to visit them. And who's showing them around? His kid, their kids. So their kids are like their, their uh, guide. They're the ones who show them Israel because they're living here. So they're going in Tel Aviv, and this is, my, this is where I live, this is where I shop, this is where I work. And uh, they're showing Israel to their parents. And I think this is an unbelievable experience that the younger generation is the one that presenting Israel to the older generation that didn't come here before. It's not at all correlated in a beautiful way to Zionist upbringing or Jewish upbringing. It's just people who want to change. Young Jews who are finally hungry for what uh, has already been offered to them for years, and now's the moment. Exactly. And you're right. I don't think that we didn't, we didn't bring the usual suspects this year. We brought people that they deferred the Harvard and Yale and Princeton to come. They decided to take an internship here in, because they're... Because it's an they're awful year to be an American university paying $60,000 to be locked in your room. Exactly. And we had those parents called us and say, we don't want our kids to be uh, to have, to work, to be on, a, on Zoom on the couch in our living room for six months. I always found it so interesting that the trust that random American Jews have in the Israeli government and the Israeli public, the Israeli army, is so kind of disproportionate to their actual relationship with it. Because unlike my generation, many uh, parents in their 50s and 60s have not been here. But there's this overwhelming trust. You know, it's like um, coming here during a war and, and people trust that the government and the army will keep their kids safe. Coming here during COVID, the same. Many people would say, in fact, it's safer than being anywhere else in the world. You're not alone. You have a safety net. You have someone who's going to take care of you who will feel that you're part of that. And I think our fellows felt it uh, this year. When they needed uh, to go to a COVID test, we provided for them. When they had an issue and had a problem, we were there for them. Uh, of course, the moment we could vaccinate them, we vaccinated everyone. And I saw that they want to give back to the society as well. They volunteered in much bigger projects and bigger numbers than they did years before. Because of that, they want to give back to the society because of what you say, because they saw that it's a collective, uh, they felt part of a collective here, and that the collective is, is thinking about them. They are part of something. Yeah, and, you know, the goal of Masa obviously, is not that everyone makes Aliyah. If they choose to do that, great, but it's really an identity-building project, and I think that's critical to mention. I mean, I think there's also just the mindset of the diaspora Jew will never be the same after this year, because... Uh, at time of publication, I will be a, a citizen of this country. God bless. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, who knows what happens between now and then? You know, a lot could happen. But that's the plan. And there's always this real weird moment at the airport. And it's kind of like, okay, Israeli passport holders and foreigners. And this year, the American Jewish diaspora, all diasporas, really were told that they were foreigners. And I think this really was a year where people realized that they couldn't take for granted landing at Ben-Gurion Airport, no matter what passport they hold. How do you, as a, a leader of this uh, global organization, how are you going to harness that to make sure that 
the year after, it's 15,000. It's, it's 20,000 after that because we can never go back. I mean, the mindsets, we can't even fathom the world before, but what is the work moving forward? So it's the first year ever, it's the first time ever that uh, Israel was, not, uh, was closed to people that are not citizens of uh, Israel. And I, I'm sure that it was a big, it was a big shock and a big change in the mentality of what you're, uh, what you're saying with the communities. And actually one of the only ways that they could come into Israel was with Massa. I think that the fact that we uh, open it up to the people that are not the usual suspects, and it's, it didn't come a lot of them from the, uh, just because of the love of Israel and the uh, support, it's because of the opportunity they had and they wanted to make, they wanted to thrive here, here instead of surviving there. I think this network's going to grow. Look, we are competing, I'm competing with a lot of things. I'm competing with study abroad in Spain, with internships in, uh, in the UK, with volunteering in, uh, in India and Africa. So in the, in the market of international experiences, we need to be the best. I can't just say, come to Israel because it's Israel. I need to show that the product, the program that I'm selling to you, that I'm offering you, is something that will be the best offer for you, will be beneficial for you, for your life experience, for your academic credits, for your uh, professional development, for your international community, for your uh, for whatever network. you need, for your network. So I think we're offering a future. We're offering a future to individual young Jew for his professional uh, journey, for his personal growth and for his life, but also for his identity, for his community identity, for his relationship with this, uh, with this place. This was the most disruptive year in the history of the past 100 years. And you kind of found yourself at the nexus of it where this organization could grow obsolete or this organization could grow transformative as it always has a history of being. But it's easy to look back. It's harder to look in. What were you thinking about like at the moment where it was like, where you sat down with yourself and you said to yourself, can we actually continue? And you faced that question. I spoke to many people. I spoke to my uh, management team. I spoke to my board. I uh, spoke to some people that I... Uh, Hashem, that, uh, you talked to him? We, uh, we talk sometimes, <laughs> I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a practicing uh, uh, Jew, but in the end, I closed the door and I, and I analyzed it myself. And I thought from a very different perspective, from a perspective of the, of the fellow, the parent, the program organizer, Masa itself, what's, what, are, what are the angles of here and there? What are the pros and cons? And in the end, I decided that this is the right way to go. We have to, uh, we have to continue and we'll do it. And I think I couldn't do it without a team that was very dedicated. And we had the connections in the, uh, in the government and we have the back of the Jewish agency. So we had it all set up for us if we decided that this is what we want to do. If, I won't say it was easy. Every day, we had ups and downs all the time. And even this year, after we thought we were out of uh, COVID, we had, had many other things happening. We had the Merona issue. You had students who were there? We had 500 students there. We had, unfortunately, uh, one fellow for Massa and one alumni who, uh, who died in, this, uh, in, in Meron. It was, it was one of the worst days of, of my life dealing with, uh, with this. The Mount Meron incident was basically there was no crowd control at a very big uh, religious gathering. And a crowd, one person pushed, the other pushed, and 45 people passed away. And a lot of young kids, a lot of 
Wow, so that's because Masa is also right after high school to like 30, right? How, I mean, you know, you took this job and you knew it was a great responsibility because right at this very time, there's 12,000 people who you're responsible for. But uh, I don't think no one can foresee that. I mean, what was that day like? Well, we um, woke up to the uh, phone call of the chief of security. It was very, really early in the, uh, in the morning and uh, he gave me the first, uh, the first update. In the beginning, we, uh, we started really, we thought that everything is fine because we found all the, all the organized groups that came, that came there were found and were organized and on buses going back. But then the day developed that, uh, that there were a few people that went there independently and one could not be found. And um, we spoke to, the, to his uh, program and to uh, his uh, guidance and to his matrichim. Uh, and they went after every one of the hospitals. And, and it was, there is a point in the day that you already... You know. You know, but you, but you can't because it can't be another, another, can't be another scenario. Uh, or it's really small percentage in another scenario, but you until you're not sure, you're not you, you're not sure, and until it was 100 percent, and then you need to switch switch your mind and say we need to help the groups with health, with with resilience, with uh, mental mental, health. So, mental health support. We need to help the family getting into uh, a, a Israel. We need to help the the group, and you try to make yourself in all these issues that you what you can do in order to feel that you're doing something. I would assume that that's one of the worst days of your life. It was one of the worst days of my life. I went and we went to the, uh, to the funeral. There were thousands of people, but uh, it was very, very, very sad day, very powerful sad day. And so after that, you thought that you finished uh, this, uh, this year and then, then the, uh, the war started. And we had about 1,500 uh, Massa fellows in the areas where they got, uh, they had to go to the bomb shelter, they had sirens, and we needed to deal with that as well. These people are not Israelis, they're not used to that. So to give the, the instructions, you need to uh, talk and email the parents. We have groups in, uh, you know, if you remember, it happened here, missiles from Gaza, but also, Events in um, in in cities that have Arabs yeah. and, and Jews living. That together. probably is probably with the teaching fellows. Those teaching the... fellows. We have volunteer programs in Ramle, in Lod, in Nazareth, in uh, um, in Yafo. So in some places we need to to evacuate the uh, the groups with uh, these riots and violence between Arabs and Jews that just completely changed the game of uh, the conflict. It was hard for Israeli to understand yeah. what's going on. It was much harder for an, um, for a Massa fellow that is here for a few months to to realize hey, what, what just happened. And uh, we we brought a lot of educators to speak with them. We were very lucky to get um, to get a nice pledge for Jewish federations of North America to help us uh, deal with the situation of the of the war with our fellows, which uh, helped us taking about. 13,000 of the uh, fellows that were in the areas that needed to deal with, uh, with the situation and to take them to trips in the north of Israel, in the south of Israel, when it was more quiet and that they can relax and, and just uh, be a bit uh, away from the situation. Yeah. It helped us a lot. Yeah, and do you think that it, um, 
I'm, alumni engagement is really hard because people move on. Um, but do you think, are you expecting this year to be one of the most, in five years from now, one of the most active alumni groups because of this intense experience? That's an amazing uh, question because we are discussing it these days. I definitely think that this, that this year's uh, fellows are very unique in what they experienced here. Because they experienced so much, it will live longer in their, uh, in their journey and it will affect more their life. Definitely collective, even their connection to, uh, to Israel. Look, when there is a sign, you need to go to, uh, to, to the base, to, to the bomb shelter. You see all the people in your building. These people are people that you didn't see, you didn't meet before, becoming like a community. These places, the extreme situations get you into much more collective connection. I see it with Masa fellows are now our stars. Everyone wants to see them. Everyone wants to meet them. There's delegations coming. Everyone wants to meet a Masa fellow and hear about, hear about their experience. I know that when they'll come to the uh, come back to the community, they will be more uh, more involved. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast was because I think it's very easy to look into the sometimes very troubling trends happening in the United States, in the diaspora too, but I would say as it relates to Israel, mainly among younger generations in the, di- in the American diaspora. And, and I really think Massah is a great force for working the data and working the impact in a direction that is uh, the positive one, the, the connection to Israel, the connection to Jewish identity. I want to say about, the, about this point regarding, think about what happened in the war. We encouraged our fellows and alumni to tell their story. They realized two things here. On one hand, they, they were in Israel. They faced like the Israelis, everything that happened here. Yeah, the rockets don't care whether you're a Mossad participant or not. Exactly. But my feed on social media is very different than their feed. And they see a lot of what's happening out there. And they were in shock, showing a whole different reality. Because I watch the Israeli news. I'm having Israeli friends. I'm seeing it from my perspective. But they are connected to a whole different uh, communities and a whole different circles. And what they saw was very different than what they experienced here. So, so a lot of them wanted to, wanted to raise their voice. I'm not in a Hasbara organization. I'm not giving them 10 points of what to say when we're asked. Yeah. I'm not a political uh, uh, organization for that. But I want to encourage them to tell their story, to, be, to feel confident enough to say, look, I don't, know, I don't know about politics. I don't know about the big thing. I can only tell you from my experience. And I spent a semester there. I spent a year in Israel. I was in Israel during this war. And this is what I experienced, this is what I saw. It's really hard to dismiss these stories. It's easier to say, well, you're just telling points of what people told you to, to, to say. But if you are talking from a personal perspective, it's very different. And I think it will help. This also will help Israel. But this is also will show um, when you're spending a significant time here, you feel that it's part of you. And you feel that you can, you can say what you think. Also, the critics, the thing that, are you, that you don't like uh, here. When you come to Massa, I cannot... I cannot censor what you see. I cannot show you just the beauty sides of Israel. I can't control it because you're coming here for, for a significant time. You live it like a local. You see it from different angles. You see our advantages and you see our challenges. I think the package is selling. I think the whole package is something that is, that is appealing. But I know there's challenges. 
and I want you to know it, and I want you to feel that it's part of, uh, of you. I don't want you to become a, a lawyer for Israel, because a lawyer... Uh, There'll client, be lawyers in the States <laughs> no matter what you do. <laughs> as someone who studied law, a lawyer-client a, a lawyer relationship will always stay a lawyer-client relationship. It will never get deeper or personal. I want a fellow, a Masa fellow and a Saloma to feel that Israel is part of him. It's part of who he is. He can, he can take it to anywhere he wants. But you feel it's family. And with family, I have a lot of things I can say about some of my family. But if someone else says something about my family, I will stand up for my family. Yeah, I, I love that point that uh, it's not a Hasbara organization because... It actually has a, a much bigger mission, I think, a much broader mission, larger potential for impact. You know, you're not dealing in points, you're dealing with uh, journeys and human souls and Jews. So before I kind of conclude, I wanted to ask a question that we're asking everyone. Is there like a verse from like Talmud or the Torah or a song or a verse, Hebrew, English, Spanish, I don't care, that you just kind of sits in the back of your head and keeps you going? Because something has to keep you going in this past 18 months. So I'll answer in a different way. There is no, um, there's many quotes or many things that I'm thinking about, but something that is, for my journey that I'm thinking about very much is my grandfather. That's someone that is, uh, uh, is with me in the place, it's in, in what I do. Because I'm a really big believer. I, uh, I, I adore and I like almost like I think that this generation of people that left everything and came here as pioneers before the States, like when I mean, there was nothing here and had this dream and built it from nothing. I am amazed. And my grandfather came here in the uh, third Aliyah almost a hundred years ago and I'm thinking what was here in the 20, 1920s, there was nothing. And he did so much and he built and he was part of that. He wasn't a, he wasn't a Zionist leader, he was a Zionist activist. He came, he was a true Zionist. And everything that I, that, uh, that I do, I'm thinking, like how can I uh, compare it to, to what they did? So for, for a long time, I tried to compare and then I decided I'm gonna lose anyway. But it's something that is sitting with me and I'm thinking, I'm doing it for the next generations, what I'm, what like the, the path that I'm choosing to, to work in, but also I'm doing it for my, for my own family, for my roots, because they sacrificed so much to come here and to help be part of building this unique, uh, unbelievable uh, state that we're living in. And I think we're living in the best generation of Jews ever. And we're so blessed by it. And we need to acknowledge it and to embrace it and to, and to make sure that it's, that it's going to continue and the country is going to get to a better, better situation. And the Israeli-Diaspora relations is very critical to both, to the, to the future of the Jewish communities abroad and to the future of the state of Israel. I mean, it's a powerful image that one person is responsible for bringing you here and you're responsible and now in charge of bringing 12,000 people here. Thank you for uh, fighting for them because you, uh, you did so behind the curtain. The Jewish future is uh, a lot brighter because of it. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you.
I left my conversation with Ofer thinking about what keeps him up at night. The intensity of responsibility, the pain of a purpose of not working a nine to five, but working for a larger goal, a goal that doesn't have set hours of operation and that had to survive a once in a century global pandemic. But Ofer didn't care. He didn't run away from the storm. He ran right through it towards his daring objective to connect all young Jewish people with Israel through Massah's immersive experiences. The road may be winding. The world may tell him it's impossible or it's not the right time. But I don't think Ofer will listen. I don't think he did. He just ventured forward in his journey, the only journey he knows, onward. Thanks for joining me on 36. This podcast is hosted by me, Justin Hayat. Our managing producer is Sarah Shemla. Our executive producer is Attila Samfalvi. And our editor is Robert Scarmuccia. This is a production of Soul Shop and sponsored by B'nai Zayn. Please rate and review this podcast in your podcast app of choice and share it with your friends, your butcher, and your shadchan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon. <laughs>